several things I want to say. Hi there, I'm Brian Colon, and I'm the creator of Rampage, the arcade game, among others. And you're listening to the Pie Factory podcast with Sean and Jim. Unless I'm not supposed to say their names because the kind of stuff they put out there probably makes me think they want some anonymity. However, the fact that I misplaced, misplaced, mispronounced anonymity means that this whole thing is for shit, and I, that's why I probably shouldn't do intros. Yes, it's 28 degrees here at the Pie Factory Logistics Center here in Morris, Illinois. Now I'll take a leak out the window to see if it's freezing outside the studio. Oh, hi again. Uh, welcome to another action-packed episode of the Pie Factory podcast once again from his second story bedroom. This is Jimmy G. And where it is 21 degrees at uh, Pie Factory headquarters north, um, this is Tuesday Night Shine. Ooh, that sounds like one of those uh, smooth jazz shows that you used to hear on the, the radio, like on the seems like it was always a radio station that had like two digits always ended in a three and almost always had either a 0.5 or a 0.7 like 93.7 smooth jazz and it was like all yanni and crap like that yeah which so, is not jazz but well but they called it that and a yeah, long time ago the, i remember back in the 70s they had stations that would play elevator music and it was the beautiful music station. I'm like, yeah, elevator music kind of wants me to poke my eyeballs out with hot knitting needles. But, you know, you know how that goes. No, I've never done that. Oh, you should. It's quite interesting, to say the least. But, uh, yes, hi, everybody. And uh, this is the kind of witty banter that you miss out on all the time. Wow, I just, just sound so excited tonight. But, uh, you know, I have to kind of keep it light and airy for Tuesday Night Sean. And I do appreciate that, Jimmy G. You know, that could also be like the adult programming uh, adult programming lineup, like on Showtime or Cinemax or something. We should have used this for uh, episode 25. Yes, we should. Well, it's too late now, isn't it? Yeah, I'm afraid so. But, uh, so, hey, Sean. Uh, hey, Jimmy G. You know, all the other shows either have a robot assistant, but we're not going to do that because we are, if nothing else, original. That and we've got other things that we can rip off. Um, and a lot of them also talk about when on shows with more than one host uh, what they've been playing lately. And so, Sean, what have you been playing lately? Well, funny you should ask. <laughs> I oh, told you that's it was a funny. Knee slapper. See what I see? What I'm talking about? I told you it was funny. <laughs> oh gosh, the water is coming out my nose. If you remember episode 22 in which we were talking about Junior Pac-Man, yes. and I had commented that Twin Galaxies, which in video gaming is pretty much the official world record keeper, mm -hmm. the Junior Pac-Man turbo speed high score actually was pretty low. I looked at it, it was only in the 400,000s, and I was like, wait a minute, my personal best is about 557,000, I believe. Uh-oh. I could probably beat that. So you know what I did? Uh, wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Let me guess. You baked a birthday cake with cheddar cheese and no. barbed wire and fed it to a cheetah. I do not put cheese in the cakes that I bake. Oh. Um, so, anywho, what I did was um, this past Saturday, February 27th, 
I took a drive over to Underground Retrocade, whom mm-hmm. we've talked about many times in this show. Yes. And I asked Scott if he could set up a video stream for Junior Pac-Man Turbo, because I, I said, you know what? I want to go for the Twin Galaxies world record. And I believe the world record officially is something like 447,000 off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I think it was 441,000 or something. I made four attempts. My fourth attempt, I got 451,000. Ooh. So I got the video, Scott uploaded it for me, I sent it off to Twin Galaxies, so now we play the waiting game. You just edged out the high score. Yeah. So right now, they're, you know my score is awaiting a final official decision. There are a couple of people on there who are hesitant to accept it because they like to see like the actual dip switches on the uh, the cabinet mm-hmm. they like to see the control panel they like to see uh the actual game board i guess just to make sure you're not emulating it mm-hmm. but they could there are a couple of people who said well we can tell what the dip switch settings are just by watching you play we know that they're set for this we know they're set to allow for 10,000 point bonus etc so there are some people who are voting it up for that. There are other people who don't want to vote yet and, until we're just waiting. I might have myself a Twin Galaxies world record before long. Do you so. have the, uh, now I'm assuming you submitted it to Orcade also? No, because my Orcade high score is already there. Oh. The high that I submitted to Twin Galaxies is over 100,000 less than my personal best as recorded on ah, Orcade. I see. And the the world record on Orcade is much higher than mine. I'm surprised. I'm really surprised that, People are not, there There aren't any higher scores on Twin Galaxies, because it's not hard to get a high score on that. I wonder if there aren't as many of the, the Turbo Junior Pac-Mans out there as there are, say, the Ms. Pac-Mans. Right. Yeah, as far as I can tell, at least according to Orcade.com, there are only like five, six, or seven Turbo Junior Pac-Mans. Okay. Oh, and speaking of which, after after I finished and, you know, I, I, I thank Scott for, you know, helping me record and everything. He said, well, thank you for using Underground Retrocade to do this. I was like, well, no problem. I really was considering driving all the way to Indiana to, to go to uh, JJ's Pizza. But uh, I was like, nah, I'll just, st- I'll just stay local. Yeah, you're being a butt. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of Underground Retrocade, kind of like uh, catching up because we haven't had a regular, normal, everyday pie factory podcast in a while but something i've been wanting to mention when we interviewed brian colin at uh galloping ghost uh-huh. uh, i'm not saying there's correlation i don't think there is i think it's just more coincidence because nobody knew he was coming except maybe doc but galloping ghost on that day had like broken attendance record really yeah i think they might have since broken that record too oh and speaking of Galloping Ghost, uh, I was going to talk about uh, what I've been playing lately. I'll do that real quick here. Yeah. Uh, I've been still, I have. I don't get to the arcade as much as I'd like to. I'm still playing the uh, Sega Master System that Jeff Prescott uh, sent me as a gift. Again, thank you, because this is the most awesome thing. I am falling in love with the Sega Master System all over again, thanks to the uh, EverDrive uh, flash cart that I have. And I have been playing the Sega 8-bit versions of Sonic the Hedgehog and Sonic the Hedgehog 2. Electric Boogaloo. I like them. I think they're well done. The levels are different than the Sonic and Sonic 2 that are on the Sega Genesis. So that's one reason to check them out. And uh, they're just as fun. The only complaint I really have is the uh, in Sonic 2 on the Sega Genesis, you could play as either Sonic or Tails. On the Master System, the object of the game is to save Tails. 
But uh, other than that, um, I, I I really enjoy the games. The uh, you know the sound is Master System sound for whatever it's worth. But uh, yeah, they're every bit as fun as the others, and um, I I highly highly recommend them. Haven't been playing Golden Axe Warrior as much lately because I'm kind of stuck in a part and I'm not sure what to do. Well, no, I know exactly what to do. It's just I just don't have the uh, enough life to do what I need to do. And um, that's a fun game. It's, uh, as I've said before, it's uh, it's kind of like a Legend of Zelda ripoff, but it's really good. And, um, oh, I did purchase uh, on eBay a couple of the uh, the arcade sticks for the uh, Sega Master System. They're okay. Ooh, I don't hate them. I don't love them either, but I don't hate them. And um, I made my first eBay purchase from a German seller. And uh, I got the official Sega Rapid Fire module for the uh, Sega Master System. And... Uh. Um, it's made uh, quite a bit of difference in my scores on Fantasy Zone, which is always a good thing. And I have heard, and I've got to try this out, that if you use uh, the Ed Ladd and Seagull 78 controller and the Sega Master System Rapid Fire module on the Atari 7800, you can use the Sega Master System control pad on it. I wouldn't be surprised. I have yet to test that out. But um, when I do, you'll hear from me on that. So that's what I've been doing. But as far as Doc Mac goes and Galloping Ghost, and this was just posted like about an hour, maybe two Ooh, hours before yeah. we recorded, March 5th, which is this coming Saturday, which today oh, the recording is March 1st, of course, uh, they're going to have, uh, they're going to open the first room of their uh, expansion project. Oh, man, I'm going to miss that. Yeah, I'm going to miss oh. it too. I got a horrible busy weekend this weekend. But uh, so uh, if any of you hear this, uh, you might want to go check it out but uh, that night, but uh, if this comes out later, uh, still check it out because it's still going to be fresh and sparkly new. It's going to have that new arcade room sheen to it. Ah, uh, yes. And that's that's a more than welcome expansion for me personally because when we were, we were there last, I couldn't move around. That's the second biggest complaint I have about that place. The the number one oh, is... Oh, that's right. Parking. You don't like walking more than five feet from a parking space to the entrance. Well, I mean, it's it's all street parking in that, and, and oh, boo woo! Yeah, I, I I I hate street parking. That's I've just a personal thing. I've never had a problem parking there. One of the best things about Galloping Ghost, though, they're only a couple of blocks from a train station. So anywhere in Chicago, you can just hop on a train, and you're two blocks from it, three tops. I hear with the expansion, they're going to add twenty games. Uh, if I read the uh, the announcement correctly, so hopefully they'll still gain some more room. So. They have the full plans for their expansion, uh, their expansion program uh, on the Galloping Ghost website, gallopingghost.com. Gallopingghostarcade.com. Oh, yes, that is that is correct. Yeah. So, or you can just and, Google uh, Gall- Galloping Ghost, and that'll be the first search result. So. And when we interviewed Brian Colin, not only did Galloping Ghost set attendance records, but so did Underground Retrocade, apparently. What was that weekend? I don't It was a good game for, uh, for Chicago was... Arcade Gaming. Was that Martin Luther King Jr. birthday weekend? It might have been. Because it was in January. I bet that's what it was. I think it was too, it was right at the end of the month, though. I, th- I don't think, I think it was too late, but I don't Elvis's know. birthday? Because his birthday's in January. Elvis' birthday is January 8th, unless mm. you're talking about Elvis Costello, which I believe is sometime in August. Well. Oh. Uh, yeah, that was something about, else. Um, and, uh, and just to kind of piggyback on uh, your uh, uh, home gaming adventures, Soul Blazers will be proud of me, but I've actually been looking into the possibility of adding Super NES 
gaming to my life. Nice. But thing is, I really love that handheld AT Games Genesis that, I, that mm-hmm. everybody else hates except you and I. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's fun. It's I think it's a decent thing, and yeah, I, I understand the concerns with the sound because after having yeah. played. Uh, some Sonic the Hedgehog on uh, on an emulator. Yeah, you can tell there's a difference in the sound, but you know, it, for what it's worth, it's fun. Yeah, and but the thing is, I, I don't want any more consoles. Mm-hmm. I don't want any more consoles. I just don't have the room. I don't want to keep taking up room. So I looked specifically to see if there was like a handheld equivalent for the sneeze, and I found a couple of things. There's this thing called the Super Boy, which is basically a handheld SNES. And I looked into that, mm-hmm. and um, actually, when I was at Underground Retrocade on, on Saturday, I saw that Scott had one at the counter. I was like, oh my god, how is that thing? Is it is it good? And he, he handed it to me and said, here, try it out, and I really liked it. Uh-huh. Uh, what I ended up getting, actually, was was the, uh, the Retro Duo Portable, mm-hmm. which also is an SNES handheld, but it also has an adapter for NES. And so I got that. I, it just arrived yesterday. Mm-hmm. I tried it out with my uh, NES EverDrive. Mm-hmm. And at least for NES games, it works really, really, really well. I'm really happy with it. I imagine the size of that thing has got to be incredible because the uh, the NES cartridges are humongo. And not only is it just the NES cartridge, but also you need an adapter to use NES cartridges on it. That takes up some space. You know, the funny uh, thing is, um, if you compare the uh, the NES cartridges with the Famicom cartridges that were released at the same time, the, the Famicom cartridges in Japan are, are small deals, whereas the NES ones are big here, you know, the ones that we got in the United States. Huh. And when you open it up, it's like a little board. If If I'm correct, if I remember this correctly, which is questionable... But they're not much bigger than a uh, a memory stick for a PC. Really? If I'm remembering this correctly, if you think about it, the games look at the size of a cartridge for a Sega Genesis or uh, or even a Super Nintendo. They're smaller. They are. So, and these are more powerful cartridges with more memory. So you got to think something's going on there. Yeah, you got to think. But uh, but yeah, so I have a uh, Super EverDrive on the way, so I can. Just have one super uh, SNES cart with all the ROMs on it nice. that I want. And also, this thing apparently does Sega Genesis games as well with a, with a $20 adapter. If I might uh, suggest a few titles for you, Super Mario All-Stars for the SNES. That's It's basically all of the uh, 8-bit Super Mario games, but it also has Super Mario The Lost Levels, which is the Japanese version of Super Mario 2, so you might want to check that one out. Uh, those levels are a heck of a lot harder than the uh, the original Super Mario levels. There is I, I can't remember what the subtitle is, but the uh, the first of the Legend of Zelda games for the Super Nintendo is a must-have. My favorite game on the Super Nintendo is Super Metroid. Don't know if that's like your kind of game, but that's a real fun game. You could easily I like I said I don't know about you, but I easily got addicted to that one. So those are just a few uh, a few recommendations for you there. I'll tell you what though, I can't wait to try out the Genesis portion of it because I want to actually be able to play the Genesis Ms. Pac Man, which won't run on the at games. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I got that going. It's a good way to pass time on the commute to work. But I don't do it while driving, folks. I take public transit. Yeah, well, uh, you see, I wish I could play games. The the only game I can play while on my commute to work is Death Race 2000, and that's because I love running over people. Yeah. I think with that, maybe we should start getting into the meat of the show. What do you think? Um, yeah. Do we have any uh, pork chops? Mmm, pork chops. Mmm. 
here's a hint for you. Buy a gigantic pork loin. That way you can, for weeks, just saw off pork chops the thickness you want or cut off roasts. Little uh, food tip from me to you. I like that sound effect. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, do we have any news? Well, we already talked about news, like the, the most recent news. That's true. But one thing I want to address briefly here is uh, for those of you who are on Atari age and have just been following any of the retro gaming pages on Facebook or whatever, you know that there's a thing going on. There's a, a quote-unquote console called the Coleco Chameleon, which was previously something called the Retro VGS. I just want to talk about this briefly because I've been kind of following off and on uh, the situation. It, uh, a guy, Mike Kennedy had this idea for a console. It was, you know, it's fun to have an idea. There, wasn't that fun? Classic console could play new cartridges and play classic cartridges. And then as he went on, the hardware specs changed. Then he had a failed Indiegogo. Then after the failed Indiegogo, the retro VGS was dead. Uh, oh, I, I do need to mention that the retro VGS, uh, this Mike Kennedy guy, got the original molds for the that they used to create the shells for the the Atari Jaguar game system to you know for the the shell for the console. After the failed Indiegogo, the retro VGS was dead to be resurrected in December as the Coleco Chameleon. He just licensed the Coleco name from a company called River Brands West, which I guess is a Chicago company, and all they do is own the Coleco name. I don't think they own any of the intellectual properties. Was it called River West Brands, actually? Uh, I don't know. I, I thought it was River West Brands, but it might be... Because River West is literally across the river from where I work. Well, there you go. That might be it, then. So they redubbed this thing the Coleco Chameleon, and they said, oh, we'll have a Kickstarter after the New York Toy Fair. We'll have something at New York Toy Fair. Well, he went in with the uh, River West... Coleco booth at the Toy Fair, and they presented a Coleco Chameleon. They actually had one. Uh, oh, no, wait, they didn't. They cut in the back uh, a hole. They basically shoved a Super Nintendo Mini in the shell. They used electrical tape around the back to hide the fact that it was a, uh, the board was too long for the case. And um, one of the things they kept promoting early on was, you know, detachable controllers, which, duh. But for some reason, these controllers were hardwired into it. Figure that out. Turns out that they're actually just off-the-shelf Super Nintendo controllers. And the reason why they were hardwired in is so you couldn't see the Super Nintendo connection on the end. Well, then they're like, don't worry, don't worry. Kickstarter in a couple of days. Hmm. This Kickstarter was supposed to go this last uh, Friday of February, which was Friday the 26th, I believe. Yes, and, um, yes. He said, yeah, it's going to go live. The Kickstarter's going to go live. Kickstarter didn't go live, but a, a cryptic message cropped up stating that uh, we're postponing this to make the, the system better. And then they posted a picture of a clear Jaguar case, which, truth be told, the clear case was pretty badass. And you could see a board inside of it. Well, the sleuths over at Atari Age, led by our very own uh, loved Albert, who is the proprietor... Uh, discovered that the board inside was a, a video adapter card for a PC. Of course, there were a couple of uh, USB ports on this thing, but if you look at them, they were basically just like glued to the board. They didn't have anything. But if you look at a comparison of the board that they found versus what you could barely see through the shell, they are exactly the same damn board. It was a video recorder yeah, board. I'm sorry, video recorder board. It, well, at this point, this Mike Kennedy guy... 
I'm sorry, he's got no credibility anymore. And the best thing he can do is right now is man up, say, you know, I effed up and just wipe it clean because there's nothing coming of this. And it's not a console that people really want. I mean, nobody really wants a cartridge-based system anymore, especially when you got like uh, flash drives and SD cards, mini micro SD cards and all that stuff going around. What I would like to see now, I would have shelled out bucks for this if this console would have been uh, something like the Retron series, which plays uh, NES, SNES, Genesis things. They have three different cartridge slots, but instead played like the Atari 2600, the Intellivision, and the ColecoVision. And actually works unlike the Retron series? And it actually series. works unlike the Retron series. Exactly. I would pay for that because these classic consoles, I mean, eventually are going to go away. And um, somebody's got all these uh, these cartridges and they got a system that doesn't work. They can't get repaired anymore. What are they going to do? You know, you can emulate it, but it's not the same. As picking up a controller, again, uh, I've got the Sega Master System here. I used to emulate Fantasy Zone and play it on, you know, my PC, my laptop or whatever, but it's not the same as sitting down with a Sega Master System control pad in your hands and playing the thing. That's what I want to see. I want to see a console like that. It's just my opinion that this thing is a bunch of baloney, a bunch of bullcrap, and I... Best case scenario, it's an April Fool's joke gone totally wrong. But this is an April Fool's joke that's been going on for like 10 months. True. That's the thing. So, horribly wrong, yes. My personal theory, and I have absolutely no evidence to back this up, is that he overpaid for the Jaguar mold, uh, shell mold, and he's just looking to recoup in his investment, and he had no intention of doing anything with the shells or the, the molds other than adding them to his collection. Like I said, I have absolutely 0% proof of that. And it's just a theory. And I admit that, and I know I have no proof. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just talking out my butt. That's a neat trick, too. As we record this, this thread has 165 pages. It started in December. Yow. And it'll probably, by the time this gets out, uh, this episode of the podcast gets out, it'll probably be 200 pages. Because this is a hot topic of discussion. Oh, yeah. So uh, I'm just warning people right now. But uh, the gist is, I don't know if you know if it's purposely a scam. I don't know if things just got out of hand, which I really do like to believe the best about people. But there's just no credibility here. Yeah, it's up to 171 now. Okay, so I, I think 200 is, uh, is, is definite by the time we get it. Yeah, that's probably understating it. Might it. be. Depends on if anything else comes up because they're saying there's going to be more information and more people that were involved uh, with the project tangentially are going to come out with more information. And oh, there's tons of YouTube videos about the situation. Oh, and man. now the parody videos are coming out. Them. So, uh, and the parody images. So, you know, there's going to be fun for this for a long time. I have a feeling this is going to overtake Knight Rider 2600 uh, as, uh, you know, constant annual entertainment. <laughs> and who knows uh, there might be a commercial for the Coleco Chameleon when it comes out oh well, that'd be interesting and uh, one other piece of news that we have is uh, good friend uh, Jerry uh, Buckner of Buckner and Garcia fame of Pac-Man Fever fame released a new song ah yes yes and uh, we will be playing that uh, toward the end of the podcast so just stay tuned and listen to me and Sean's mindless drivel and uh, maybe to some of our mindful drivel as well. And uh, you will hear the new song from uh, Jerry Buckner. So hey. thanks again. And uh, thanks again, Jerry. And uh, glad to uh, glad to have you aboard. And, you know, that's uh, 
You know, it, it is really... I never thought in my life that I would ever be talking to somebody who had a top 40 hits on radio. <laughs> hey, I shook hands with Brian Wilson. Well, you know what, though? I, I never had that sort of thing. The closest I ever got is I think I related my story about how uh, William H. Macy's uh, brother or cousin or something worked for the company I used to work for. Uh, and yeah. I was stuck on a technical support call when William H. Macy came in one day. And my boss is like pointing, you know, like she knew I was on the phone. She's pointing over and goes, Jim, Jim, look who's here. Look who's here. And I'm like, I couldn't hear the guy on the phone. So I made one of those motions with my hand, like I'm on the phone. <laughs> and then later she's like, did you, did you see what you're, well, who was here? And I'm like, who? William H. Macy. Oh God, the shoveler was here. And I'm like, the shoveler, that was his role in Mystery Men. Hey, when I worked for tech support at Sharp, I was one agent away from taking a tech support call from uh, Billy Gibbons. ZZ Top. Yep. He was interested in buying a Sharp mobile on, and he wanted some information about the models. The dude who sat next to me who took the call, he, Billy sent him a bunch of, uh, like a stack of demo CDs as a thank you present. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I was like, oh, that could have been me, but oh, well. <laughs> uh, I think now we should probably get into Addenda and Arata. Yeah. So, what do you say? I'm sure we've got some Addenda and Arata. We have a lot. One thing I want to say is that, I, why do I always say one thing I want to say? Why don't I just say what I want to say? But I must say, oh, Break Pack. No way. I saw him posted yeah, the- he uh, commented on that. Wow. He saw, he's the one who sold me my 7800. I haven't seen a post from him in years. But um, I was kind of pleasantly surprised that we got as much feedback as we did on uh, episode 25. We talked about the nudie games. Yeah, we did. We actually did get uh, some- feedback on that we got some that you don't even know about yet by the way <laughs> i i oh i don't doubt it a couple that i know about and i can't remember but uh who said this but we've heard from several people that uh with puznik that uh you can the uh, there's not a separate rom set for the uh for the nude pictures versus versus just playing the game normally it is actually a dip switch setting and yes that is indeed the case i absolutely totally um uh I can't think of a, a phrase here, but uh, I absolutely totally something, something, something uh, that one. So uh, there you go. I was wrong. I admit it. I'm not you know, too proud to admit when I'm wrong. I'm just too lazy to admit I'm wrong. Hmm. So okay. that's what I have to say about Puznik. Uh, I'm sure you've got more information. Um, yeah, uh, we heard from, from, uh, Vert Vic over at, uh, 10 pence arcade. He says that, mm -hmm. uh, he actually owns a Puznik and it's one of the smallest PCBs you can get. And he said, it's also very hackable for homebrew games. So that's interesting. Ah, ooh, yeah. interesting. And something else interesting that we never really thought of. We talked about how Miss world 96 nude is a ripoff of kicks. Well, well, no, no, we, we said it was a ripoff of, um, Gals oh, Panic. Gals Panic, that's it. Which itself yes. is, we, we said, was a ripoff of Kicks. Well, sort of. There was a step in between the two. Yes. It's actually a ripoff of Volfide, which is a seek, an official sequel to Kicks. Mm -hmm. It's a very polarizing game because some people think that Volfide is a not worthy sequel to Kicks, and some people think it's awesome. Did Volfide introduce that, uh, that power, the power bar thing? I honestly, I don't believe, so. I don't know. I really don't I'd know. Have to, but it, I'll, 
I have to look at that. It did introduce uh, those the little twists and things where you have to uh, uh, surround objects and things. I th- okay. think that was in it. I'll have to look into that. Which means, as everybody knows, when I say I have to look into something or check on something, what happens? Nothing. Nothing at all. Yes. <laughs> and uh, I got some. Uh, I got some feedback from uh, Scott over at Underground Retrocade about it. Actually, he t- he said that he actually bought a Gal's Panic two. Yeah, there was a sequel to Gal's Panic, Gal's Panic two cabinet when he first started putting together the games that would eventually make up Underground Retrocade. Mm-hmm. And he did agree with our assessment that it's a pretty awful game. <laughs> But uh, what else we got? Also, this is interesting. It, it just kept pouring in. For our friend Duke and anybody who's listening to this from the Chicago area who's been to an arcade either has met Duke or will meet Duke. Right, the Dukes. Friend Duke Dang. He said, and I quote, there's another one that's the same game with a different title of Fantasia 2. Bleh. <laughs> oh, I have heard of that one. Yeah. And yeah, I looked it up and yeah, it's pretty much the exact same game. It's just a different premise, but you still play it the same way. The music's a little bit different. Is it by the same company, Comad? I'm pretty sure it would be. I'm guessing it was. Comad, your source for nudie arcade games and computer components. Yeah, and by the way, yeah, we're talking about like adult games for now, but what we say will be absolutely safe for work, we promise. Oh, yeah. So we're just talking about technical stuff at this point. But um, something that I did not think of, and I I wonder if you didn't think of it, when did uh, that horrible, horrible Comad game come out? Oh, I don't remember. It's called Miss World 96 Nude, hint, hint. It came out in 96. It came out in 1996. What are the continents you can uh, choose from at the beginning of that game? All right, you were talking about this. It was uh, North America, South America... Yeah. Asia. Yeah. Europe, Africa, and USSR. See any problem with that? Yeah, USSR's a country. And it's part of Asia and Europe. And? And? It didn't exist in 1996. Oh, holy crap, you're right. I, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> That's right. It was long gone by then, but for at the very least four years. Oh, dude, I never even thought about that. You're right. USSR wasn't a going concern then. I mean, good grief. And given the amount of characters that they used for... Let, let's assume that that is a continent, for just for sake of the argument. They still could have had enough... They still had enough characters to put Russia in. Yeah. Oh, holy crap. I never even thought about that. That's a good point. Yep, yep. So before we go any further, uh, do you have any further addenda or errata for last episode's games? No, I do not. Well, I have some for the previous episode's game from that. Oh. Some things that uh, we didn't mention about Berserk, for example. Uh, uh, we didn't mention that it was an arcade game that had a joystick, a button, and a monitor. I we didn't totally mention forgot that. About that. No. no, we didn't mention that it had a cabinet, but we also didn't mention that... Uh, it's out on the Vectrex, but there's a hack of the Vectrex version that has speech synthesis if you plug in the Atari Vox module oh, into yes. it. Yes. That's a, neat, uh, that's a neat little... I have not actually seen it, but from what I've read about the technical specifications, that is a neat device that'll work on the 2600, the 7800, and the Vectrex system. Yeah, and it also acts as a high score saver, too. And a high score saver, and I believe it has a few other functions, too. I would uh, not I'm be not surprised. mistaken. But uh, that's a clever little device. I, I would like to get one, but I just don't really have a need for one right now. Well, that's good because I don't think I don't think they're made anymore. Oh, really? I thought they were. Yeah, it, they're listed on the Atari Age store, but it just uh, it, you can't add it to your cart. You can only add it to your wish list. 
Ah, I see. And let's see, I remember playing it on the Amiga as a game called Zerberk. See what they did there? Now, there was a uh, a homebrew version of Berserk for the Atari ST computers, and i trying to remember who programmed it. Oh, yeah, I think it was uh, Dave Muncy. Dave Muncy did uh, a few uh, a public domain shareware games for the Atari ST computers that were pretty good. I believe his last game was an original. They were pretty much ports up to that point. I believe he did a version of Kaboom for the Atari ST, and he did Berserk. His last game was an original one called Frantic, I guess it's a, a lot like Turmoil on the Atari 2600. Oh, man, I bought that game just because of Ferg, and I still uh-huh. haven't played it yet since he talked about it in his show. I've played it a little bit in emulation. That's a fun game. It's a fun game. But, uh, yeah, Frantic was a fun game. It was uh, it was kind of like the Tempest 2000 uh, version of Turmoil, if you will. Uh, with uh, It had, like, voice and stuff like that, if I remember correctly. And uh, so that was a fun game. But, yeah, that was Dave Muncy who did it for the Atari ST. And let's see, something else we didn't mention. I don't remember hearing this in the episode when I listened to it again. Yeah, because I'm so much of an egotist. I actually listen to my own podcast. I listened to it several times looking for errors and criticizing myself. Well, here's one. Um, One way to die that we didn't mention is if a robot is destroyed and you Uh, actually make mm -hmm. contact with some of the shrapnel left over. Mm, You get killed by that. And uh, this is interesting. In the arcade... When uh, when a robot dies, it's, it just looks like dots. In the Atari 2600 version, they actually use the image of Evil Otto to plot where the uh, dots in the shrapnel are. Yeah, so I always noticed that. Was, that was uh, interesting. Yeah, it's not terribly dissimilar from how it is in the arcade game, too. And by the way, uh, if you walk into a robot, even though you die, you still get 50 points. So that uh-huh. was, that's interesting. And finally, the, the well, not finally, but one thing that we forgot to mention that I thought was fascinating, especially after I played these ROMs, there are French, Spanish, and German versions. Yes, I did see that in the uh, in the dip switch settings. I only uh, played around with the German version, but I didn't oh, it's uh, in the play dip around switch with the French settings? one. I think it was, an, oh, you may, you know what, maybe not. I think it is a separate round now okay. that I think about it. All right, and there's one more thing that I think is worth mentioning here is that in the 2600 version of Berserk, mm-hmm. there are a couple of interesting bugs. At least some variations, if not all of them, allow you to keep building and building and building on your bonus humanoids. Uh-huh. And if you get more than 127 bonus humanoids, it triggers a bug. It's a rollover bug. Oh. And I think what happens is um, the game freezes. Well, that's something I don't ever have to worry about yeah, happening. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> but man, 127 lives. I mean, that's why Kilbaka like, was able to get the, the world record pretty easily because he just ran up his lives and then he took a break to go to the bathroom and stuff. Um, the other interesting bug is I don't quite know how to explain it, but in the 2600 version, there's something in the code that checks for action to happen like every 16 seconds or so, uh huh. every X number of seconds or minutes. And if it doesn't detect a certain thing happening for a certain number of minutes total or a number of seconds total, it basically says, oh, okay, there's nobody playing this. Let's turn it into uh, attract mode. Uh, Unfortunately, they don't disable that during the game. You know what? I think I have run into that bug before. And that means that if you're playing the game, it doesn't reset the count after you start moving. 
Mm. It's really it happened to kill Baca during one of his world record attempts, and he was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, should I start over? And everybody on the on the channel is like, yeah, do yes. it, dude, do it. <laughs> And uh, I just want to give a quick shout out to the Atari Fifty Two Hundred Super Podcast. With yes, we and RK, they uh, they were talking about uh, Berserk on the Fifty Two Hundred on the most recent episode, and uh, they mentioned us quite a bit actually. Thank and, you guys. Uh, yeah, so yes, thank you again. And uh, also, uh, just a, another programming note uh, coming up in the near future, I am actually going to be a guest on the ColecoVisions. Podcast Ooh. and um, the uh, they're going to be talking about uh, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Junior, and Zaxxon for the Coleco Adam. So uh, I'm going to be on that, and um, we're we're getting all ready for that. Uh, is a busy guy, and um, he can only record so much. I like doing that. Uh, it's crumbs keep away. So I'm I'm not gonna. You're never going to hear the end of that with me. So. So uh, one, one final thought about Berserk. This comes from uh, uh, Chris Federico, a.k.a. Chris++. Plus Plus. The theme of the Berserk episode was games in which there are characters named Otto, and I observed that there were at least four video games that I could think of with a character named Otto. Four? Yeah, there's Berserk, Elevator Berserk Action. And, uh, action, yeah. The Simpsons. Oh, yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. And Crazy Otto, the original Ms. Pac-Man. And Crazy Otto, that's right. Yes, those four. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. Now, something that uh, Chris Plus Plus said is, um, he said, here's something from my In Case You Care file, an excerpt from a 1994 news group message. Remember news groups? 1994 news uh, group yes. message posted by Tony Miller, who worked on Berserk with Alan McNeil. Uh-huh. Uh, he's not sure what he did, but... Uh, Here's the quote. Evil Otto was invented to convince you to leave the room after you killed all the robots. Otherwise, people would have the tendency to hang around. Evil Otto was named after the guy by the name of Dave Otto, who worked (laughs) for the company all of us worked for before joining Stern. So that explains that. He goes into further details here. That kind of explains the Otto thing, at least, just for Berserk. One final erratum. I got one more. If you think back to episode 10, we were talking about how the music from Frogger is all Japanese folk music. I was like, I don't know. There's some stuff that I recognize here, and it finally occurred to me. I played Frogger at Underground Retrocade when I was there. Level 5. After you send your third and fourth frogs into the home bases, Mm -hmm. you hear a little bit of Yankee Doodle. Oh, really? Yeah. Like I've made it that far. (laughs) It's, it's no secret that, uh, for the most part, we suck at most of these games. You're better at uh, oh, yeah. the Turbo Pack variants, and I'm better at Gyrus, but that's about it. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, we don't claim to be experts, you know, in terms of both skill and knowledge. We're learning as we go. Yeah, indeed we are. So now that we're uh, well over half hour into the show, uh, what do you say that we start talking about some games? We've been talking about games all all night. We've been talking about Miss World 96 Nude. We've been talking about Frogger, Berserk. You know what I mean, mister. Do I? That was for Phil. Oh, <laughs> oh speaking of Phil. Oh, yes. Speaking of Phil. Um, yeah, we're always thinking of Phil. We've been uh, asking people to send in arcade memories. Yes, we have, actually. We've had one from Phil that's been on deck for about three shows now. Uh-huh. Should we uh, read it? Why, yes, I think we should. Okay, this is from uh, Phil the No Swear Gamer. Hope the move goes well, Phil. Can't wait to hear you back on the air again. But Phil says, I have many arcade memories, more than I realized at first, so I figured for this submission I would stick to the arcade I visited most when growing up. 
It was located in the Wonderland Mall in Livonia, Michigan, assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yes, you are. My memory is a bit fuzzy on the name, but I believe it was called Main Street Arcade. Unlike most shops in the mall, it had wide openings both in the front and the back leading to the food court where one could order ice cream after the arcade adventure. It wasn't too large, roughly the size of a footlocker, but the back did have some extra space to the side, so the floor plan was probably similar to an L-shaped Tetris piece. The arcade was lit solely by the glow of screens, meaning it got really dark when they shut off the games at the end of the day. It took quarters instead of tokens. Occasionally, you might see an employee who had an apron full of them if you needed change, and your bill would not be accepted by the change machine. My strongest, earliest arcade memory came from this arcade, although I do vaguely remember playing the arcade games before this. It was the first time I played Double Dragon, which was located near the front and to the right, about three machines in when you entered. It seemed magical with great cabinet artwork and graphics that seemed ahead of their time. It seemed to me a lot of earlier games featured blank black backgrounds, say that ten times fast, um, and small characters. Double Dragon was just the opposites. They were like cartoons. (laughs) Picking up a baseball bat seemed amazing, and throwing a bad guy over my shoulder sealed the deal. This game was awesome. I also fondly remember playing the original four-player Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles arcade game. It stood right in the front on the left side. Wait, wait, right on the left side? I'm confused, Phil. Uh, Anyway, you couldn't miss it as it blared music and yelled, Cowabunga! Cowabunga! It seemed to be played constantly, meaning that games were always going on, and if you were patient, you could join late in a game and possibly see the ending. Yeah, Matt Burke has to show me that, by the way. He keeps telling me he's going to show it to me. I never get around to it. Anyway, some other games I recall seeing there include Rampage... Narc, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, Space Harrier, a sit-down outrun, Punch-Out, Super Off-Road, Pit Fighter, and the main event. They also had a bubble hockey and some pinball games, including Funhouse and Indiana Jones. After I went to college, I returned one time in the late 90s. At this time, the mall began to resemble a ghost town. It would be the last time I stepped foot in the arcade. Aww. As they too would leave. The only game that made an impression was Street Fighter 3, which was the only time I ever saw it. It probably was at least 50 cents a play. Being spoiled in single quarter games, I passed. Anything more was strictly reserved for special cabinets. Sad to say, the mall and arcade are long gone. Although they did revive the area as an outdoor shopping center. On a side note, I was told my grandfather, who had a construction company, helped build that mall. Who knows? Maybe he drew up the floor plans for the space that would later house those games or helped pour the concrete that I stood on. I probably will never know for sure, but it is fun to think about. Thank Thank you, you, Phil. Phil. That was long. No, no, seriously. Did you notice he didn't swear in that? Uh, entertain us, anus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I did notice that. Hmm, so not only is he the no-swear gamer, he's also the no-swear... Uh, sender in of memories to other podcaster. Yep. So say that fast three times. All right. So, hey, um, anybody else care to submit uh, your arcade memories? Feel free to do so. That's um, Pie Factory Podcast. Is it Pie Factory Podcast or Pie Factory at Fab4IT.com? Uh, you know what? We'll find out at the end of the show. Oh, that's uh, that's true. That's true. Oh, you know what? It's Pie Factory at Fab4IT.com. 
Or there's that. And you can also contact us via the contact us form on our homepage, which currently doesn't exist. Uh, Hopefully by the time this is out, the contact us form will exist, but oh well. We also accept skywriting and bat signals. Skywriting, bat signals, and audio files. Yes. And uh, we say audio files, we mean people that are so into audio, they have to have the biggest you know, the best speakers and cables and all of that stuff. So send them our way, because maybe they'll give us some free stuff. So with that, what say ye? So shall we talk about a game? It's up to you, Mr. Hostman. I think we should. Uh, I'll let you choose. we got one of two games here. And uh, for uh, people who listen to the show uh, on a regular basis, well, they will get the theme tonight. But uh, I'll let you choose. So which one? Okay. You know what? I want to learn something tonight, so I want to go with the game that I'm not as familiar with as I am the other one. So why don't we start with Xenophobe? By the way, Vert Vic, it is pronounced Xenophobe. Xenophobe. Don't believe me? Go back to episode 24 and listen to what Brian Cullen said. He said Xenophobe. Yeah, we had a one-on-one with the creator of the game. He says as he blows on his fingernails and then buffs them on his shirt. Ah, Xenophobe. This is an interesting game. It's uh, The cabinet's uh, kind of an interesting looking one, and uh, I guess maybe we should start on the gameplay first. The screen is divided into three sections, uh, red, yellow, blue. The top third of the screen is the red character. The middle third is the yellow character. And the bottom third is the blue character. The red character, top third, his joystick is the one on the left. The yellow character is the middle joystick on the cabinet. And the bottom character on the screen, the blue character, is the right joystick. And basically, uh, it's kind of a easy concept. Uh, you got a, a guy or a woman or a creature or whatever, and you're on a space station or a moon base or whatever, and kill the aliens. <laughs> I mean, how many other arcade games have that theme? That's 100% totally original. No, I kid, I kid. Mainly because Brian Colin's a nice guy. So the, uh, the difference is, this is three players at the same time, and as I talked about, and I'm not going to talk about it again because I screwed it up, uh, You each, each of the characters have a third of the screen, and you're all on different portions of the space station or moon base or whatever. And you can go wherever you want, independent of uh, the other players. You can go left off the screen, someone else can go right off, and the screen will scroll with you. Each player has three different characters that they can choose uh, per joystick. Now, the left joystick... You can choose uh, Mr. M. Brace, <laughs> Colonel Poupon, which uh, he has got blonde hair, you know, Poupon, mustard, get it? Pardon me, do you have any gray Poupon? And my favorite character in the whole game, Dr. Quack. He's a half man, half duck. Uh, the yellow player has Mr. Fog, Colonel F. Truth, and Dr. Utterbay. Which, I'm, he said the game's full of puns. I'm, I'm still trying to get some of them. And the right controller, the blue character, you could get Mr. Ease, Dr. Zordas, and Colonel Schicken. It's S-C-H-I-C-K-N. You get to choose which one. Now, and then as I said, you're going through the, the screen. You're wiping the aliens out of the space station. Now, you do have uh, a time limit. If you uh, kill all of the aliens in the ship before it gets overrun... Uh, you go to the next screen, you get a bunch of bonus points for everything that you pick up. If they overrun, you don't get any bonus points. And you can self-destruct the station, which if you do that, I believe you get half bonus points for uh, everything that you've collected. Uh, There are a bunch of items you can pick up. First of all, there's a whole bunch of different weapons. You start with a phaser. You can upgrade to a laser pistol. 
Uh, then from there, a electric rifle. Then there's a gas gun, which I believe in the Atari 7800 version of this game, they call the poofer gun. And of course, there are grenades. Now, the aliens, it's all like one life cycle, like the alien movies. It kind of parallels that. This game has a lot of parallels to the alien movies. The aliens, or the Xenos, as they call them in the game, they start out as an egg, and then they move to a critter, which is analogous to the facehugger in the alien movies, then into a roller, which he crawls, but then if you shoot him a little bit, he'll roll up into a ball, and the only thing you can kill him with at that point are grenades. Uh, Then a warrior, which can leap around, and if he touches you, he can disarm you, he can make you drop your weapon. Uh, And if you drop your weapon too many times... Uh, your weapon can get destroyed. If you don't have a weapon, then the only thing you can do is punch the aliens, which takes a lot of uh, doing to <laughs> to kill an alien if all you got are your fists. Then, uh, then there's the queen alien, which I hate the most in this game, which hides behind the doors, and then they can throw proto-eggs at you. I, I really hate those. Uh, one I did forget to mention are the tentacles that will pop up out of the ceiling or the floor. They can grab you. And um, as I was saying, there are items that you can pick up. Some of them are just purely for points, uh, like uh, like a skull, but others have functions. There's a piece of paper with a code. If you use that, you can turn on the self-destruct sequence. Thank you for pressing the self-destruct button. Um, An ID tag will shut off certain defenses in the space station that you're in. You've got the obligatory, you know, health power-ups, that sort of thing. There's one that you can pick up. It's called, uh, they're just tools. It's some of the space stations, moon bases, what have you. There will be a broken machine which lobs grenades into the room. If you picked up the tool, you can actually fix the the machine and uh, grab some bonus grenades from there. But as I was talking about the tentacles, (laughs) you can try to break free from them. Or if you've picked up the knife, you can, you know, slit them and uh, get away from them a lot faster. How can you do all this? Well, you have a joystick and it's got three buttons on it. It's got a trigger and two thumb buttons. And um, I think this is probably from uh, many standpoints, one of the more complex games we've ever talked about. Everybody's seen Defender and all of the buttons and whatever on that, but this game is pretty complex as well, just with only three buttons. Now, the trigger is obviously to fire your weapon, but the thumb buttons do different things, and you have to watch the screen because right underneath your section of the screen, it will show you your how much health you have left because once your health is gone, that's it, game over. Uh, it will have your score, but it will also have two items labeled left trigger and right trigger. And depending on where you are in the game, it'll tell you certain actions you can do, like stand up, crouch, jump, fix machine, pick up grenades, throw grenade, uh, press a button, enter code, break free, throw critter. If one of the critters attaches to you, you know, it hugs your face, just like the face huggers in the Alien movies. You can throw it away and then, you know, shoot at it. And uh, so you really have to pay attention because it'll tell you different actions you can do. One thing I've noticed is there are some foreground items. And there are items you can pick up hidden behind them. And the only way you can tell they're there is by watching the labels on the buttons. There are eight different types of levels that you have. The first one you start out is a shuttle. The name of that one is the dragon's planet shuttle then you have the moon base Uh, the name of the moon base is colon's rock moon base number 12 (laughs) then you have a starship then you go to the star base and the star base is named colon's rock star base number four (laughs) i wonder why it's named colon's rock hmm that sounds like a beer colon's rock Hmm, i drink that isn't that what the angry video game nerd drinks 
I think so. I think so, yeah. And then after Colin's Rock Starbase number four, you have Moon City. Then you have Starport. Then you have Moonport, which is named New Omaha for some reason. Omaha! And then your final base, uh, your eighth one, is Star City. As I said, you have to pay attention to the uh, to the what is the actions on the trigger, and uh, this game can get pretty uh, pretty hard. And um, I believe that is all I need to mention right now. I'm sure more things will come to me. The cabinet's kind of interesting, uh, interesting looking. I mean, yeah. it's three players, so they kind of it's kind of got like a wider thing about the size of a computer desk, I guess. Go back to episode 24 where we talked to Brian Colon because he talks a lot about the game. And he mentioned something about how if uh, all three of the players go off the screen at the same time, the screen doesn't scroll at the same time uh, because of limitations of the hardware, I believe. Something like that. And he was also saying that there are many items in the game that if you pick them up, don't do anything. You just get bonus points for them. He's like, original. he had said in the interview, we talked to him, episode 24, that everything in the game was supposed to do something. It wasn't just supposed to be for bonus points, but, you know, development time, that sort of thing. A lot of stuff got cut out, which I'm kind of curious, like I would be able to read it, if uh, if there's any, uh, like, keys to any of this stuff in uh, in the original code for the game. That would be kind of interesting to find out if I could read computer code, but... And um, that is about all I have to say on Xenophobe so far, as far as the description of the game. Um, I'm sure there are videos on YouTube that you can look at if my description's a little weird, because you do kind of need to see the screen, uh, because you you can all be in the same area at the same time, but you can move different places. Oh, I know of a video that's on YouTube. Oh, you do, do Yes, you? there's one in which the creator himself is playing it with two other guys. Well, there is. Why? Who are the two other guys? Um, there's like this one fat guy who really sucked at the game. He only scored like 18,000 points. And there's this, uh, this, this really tall dude. You can't really see him very well because I think he had a camera attached to his face or something. Mm-hmm. Gee, those people sound familiar. The fat guy kind of looked like Charlie Chuck. Yeah, that's true. He did. And I think their names were Jim and Sean. So oh, I don't know. What a, hmm. what a coincidence, huh? And uh, what have ye to say about the game? Not a heck of a lot. Because, I mean, I did not know the game really before we talked to Brian. I mean, I'd heard of it. You know, I heard uh, I heard No Quarter talk about it. I heard, a, I think I heard No Quarter talk about it. I heard uh, Phil the No Swear Gamer talk about it. I didn't really know about it. And when I played it, you know, it's it didn't really hold my attention because I'm not into the whole like space and aliens thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and speaking of aliens, like, well, you know what? I was about to say something, but no, go back to episode 24 and listen to our Brian Cullen interview or go to our uh, homepage at uh, piefactorypodcast.com and listen to the unedited interview. But um, so I'm not going to spoil an older episode for you folks. Come on now. But one thing they've that did all s- already listened to it because they're it, nothing if not loyal. I think that's uh, Stockholm syndrome or something. Ah, but what about new listeners? Oh, I never thought about that. We yeah, might actually yeah. get new win- I, listeners. I, I sometime. love our new listeners. I always think about them. But yeah, it's interesting that you you mentioned the cabinet itself because it is a very strange looking cabinet in terms of what I'm used to, at least what arcade mm-hmm. cabinets look like. It almost looks like one of those old fashioned TV sets where you have like the cabinet on the bottom and then just the screen itself on top. It kind of looks like that. Mm, to me, you know, to me, it more kind of looks like if a uh, stun runner was a stand up machine. I don't okay. Know. If you, if you really look at it, it's uh, the monitor is on the top and then it kind of narrows down in the middle and then it, it widens back out for the, the controls. It almost looks like a, almost, you know what? Almost looks like a robot in a way. 
like with the head and then the body, that sort of hmm, thing. I, I can see that, yeah. So, I can absolutely see that. So, yes, uh, we refer you back to the uh, the YouTube video of three, uh, three reprobates playing the machine. A couple of things I did forget to mention about the guns. They all have different powers and they all have different uh, ranges. The more powerful the gun, the less range it has. And the less powerful the gun, the more range it has. So your original weapon, the phaser, has... It's it's kind of a middling one. It has middling range, middling power. Uh, the laser has a little more power. I think that one does fire a lot longer. But the electric gun and the poofer gun have very little range at all. But the poofer gun, just a couple of shots, will take out the warrior and queen xenos. Uh, so those are fun. I do like using the poofer gun just because of its power. But when I'm in the game, I generally play the... Uh, I try to get the laser gun. One other thing about the game... As I mentioned, if you get the gun or weapon you have holding in your hand knocked out of your hand several times, it'll blow up. It gets destroyed. You can't use it anymore. Then you're forced to use the weakest weapon in the game, your fists. However, if there's no... Actually, I think even if there is another weapon on the screen, a little robot will come out and uh, toss out a a gun for you. And uh, if you can get over to grab it, you can use it again. But I find out when I'm playing the game and I lose my gun and it blows up, there are so many aliens on the screen that I can't get over to the gun to pick it up and start shooting people, or shooting people, shooting aliens with it, just because there's so many. I mean, the the robot could drop it just an inch away from you, and you'll have a hell of a time trying to get to it and get it. This is not an easy game. So what were you talking about? You were saying something. I was saying something? I don't know. I I never know what I'm saying, but... uh... I don't either. A lot of times I like to go over how the scoring happens in the game, but this is a very complicated game in terms of scoring. The simplest I can tell you is this. Uh, If you pick up a Xeno egg, it's 25 points. The smaller Xenos, they're 50 points if you destroy them, or 100 points if you use your uh, right button to throw them off. Uh, A medium-sized Xeno is 75 points. A large Xeno is 100 points. At the end of the level, any items you recover from the base, you get a thousand points a pop. Ooh, pop. And the thing is, like, the scoring is really, really complicated. Well, the last thing I, I have to say about that before I go into the complicated scoring here is if you yourself. Me? Yeah, you. You, me, Jimmy G. Personally? This just for me? If you are the one who orders the destruction of the base, you get a hundred points for every Xeno killed. If you kill all 75 Xenos before the self-destruct timer runs out, you get 300 points per Xeno that you killed. So that's 22,500 points, and you get a bonus of 200 health points as oh, well. Oh, nice. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know about that. Ooh, say. And all the other scoring depends on what room you are in which stage, because different objects are worth different points, and some of the similar objects are worth different points depending on which star base and which room you're in. Nice. Did I say stage? I meant star base. Yes, that is very, very nice. So uh, how about we acknowledge the uh, people who have uh, really, really high scores? Yes, why don't we do that? Yes, why don't we do that? Let's do that. That's a great idea. First of all, not me. Nor me. When we played this with Brian Cullen, I think like, you know, Brian had something like 78,000, you had like 55,000 or something. And we, we hit, we hit continue a few times on it. Yeah. And I ended up with 18,000, I think. And I'm thinking, okay, it means that the score is, you know, the score resets with every, when you continue. And Brian said, no, it doesn't actually. I was like, oh, <laughs> 
according to um, Arcade.com, uh, Arcade interestingly tracks two different variations of Xenophobe, one in which you start with a thousand life points, mm-hmm. and in that track, Brian Koo, I think that's how his name is, K-U-H, Man, I know some hardcore gamers who are listening to this are are going to be cursing me out for not knowing how to pronounce this guy's name. Well, softcore gamers like myself curse you out all the time. That's very true. But uh, Brian performed his uh, high-scoring game during Fun Spot 8 on June 1st, 2006 with a score of 104,230. Hmm. Now, the other track, and I'm very suspicious of, uh, the other track is is if you start with 2,000 life points. And the reason I'm suspicious of this track is because... If you look at the high scores for it on arcade.com, mm-hmm. I know almost every single one of those people. So I think that there might only be one such game with this setting, and it's the hmm. one at Galloping Ghost. Uh, James White has the arcade.com world record on that one, performed March 2, 2013. <laughs> That's uh, three years ago from tomorrow, from when we're recording this. He scored 173,585. Oh, wow. Nice. I'm kind of curious to see, thinking about how to uh, how to how you could get a high score on this. And I'm thinking about it. And one thing you cannot do on this game, even though it seems like you could, is it there doesn't seem to be any sort of way you could point press. Now, one thing I forgot to mention is every now and then on one of the screens you will see a, a, a computer screen. It'll say base, you know, however many percentage infested. And unless you can get that down to zero in a certain amount of time, unless you can get that down to zero in a certain amount of time, the base will get overrun with Xenos. You, you'll continue on to the next screen. If you get it down to zero, you get a bunch of bonus points, continue to the next screen. You don't lose a life or any of that. Now, one thing I did forget to notice, or forget to notice, I forget to notice a lot of things, and that's why I'm in trouble at work. But one thing I forgot to mention about Xenophobe, this is really curious. You could clear a room and you still have guys coming in. Now, say like you're in the room where it has the uh, the display that says base whatever percentage cleared, and you could keep killing and killing and killing them, and they just keep coming in. And you could go into a room with that screen and have more aliens come in than you started with, and that number just keep going down and down and down. And you could clear the base to 0%, clear the base of Xenos, but still have quite a few of them on the screen at the same time. I'm wondering if that was, uh, if they did, if uh, I should have asked Brian about this, uh, but Brian, if you're listening, maybe you can shed some light on this. If that was a bug where they stayed in, or if the, uh, if the base cleared thing was a way to prevent point pressing or whatever. But I just find that really weird that you could clear the base. You had to still have aliens in there. So that ah, was, there uh, are aliens, but not necessarily Xenos. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, no. They're Xenos, not aliens. They're Xenos. But I mean, let's be honest. This move, this game does borrow a lot from the Alien movies. It's same, similar theme, similar life cycle. And um, what did Brian say is the reason they were able to get away with that? I don't remember. He said it was. It's basically parody, which is uh, yes, that's know. that is true. And one thing I do have to mention. You know what? I'm going to hold on to this thought for uh, for when we talk about Rampage coming up next. But um, this is a great looking game. It's a, it's a very technologically um, um, advanced um, um, game. Um, hold, hold on a sec. I, I need to continue my thought. Oh, well. Because we didn't talk about Twin Galaxies yet. Oh, no, we didn't, did we? Oh, no, we didn't. Let us talk now, about Twin Galaxies. They track it differently. They track Xenophobe for single player and two players, but interestingly, not three players. Really? 
Yeah, at least at That's least uh, then again, the Twin Galaxy site's been acting pretty wonky. When I checked it, it wasn't really working properly, so maybe mm-hmm. that's why. But for single player, Michael Ward verified June 11, 2004. Now, listen to this, a score of 2,500,000. Wait. Single yeah. player? Single player. How? I don't know, but again, again, Twin Galaxies was acting kind of wonky when I checked. It might have got the database might have been out of sync or something. Because the hundred and whatever thousand scores sound a lot more reasonable than yeah. There's there's got to be some sort of okay. I want I want to see a video of that. Ah, good call. I want to see a video of yeah. that. That that just does not sound possible to me because this is a hard game. It and really is. I remember we talked when we talked to Brian, and he brought up the whole thing about. Uh, the hard thing about being a programmer is that you have to keep both the arcade owner happy and the player happy. Hence, right, some games were designed as quarter munchers, and this was definitely designed as a quarter muncher. But he he made some great points when we were talking and when we interviewed him that the arcade owner wants you to get off of the machine as fast as possible, and the player wants to stay on the machine as long as possible. And it was up to the programmer to try to meet the two opposing forces in the middle to make everybody happy. And I brought up, well, a lot of people, you know, when it comes to casino gambling, well, gambling, you know, waste of money, but some people think that the entertainment is worth the amount of money you're paying for it. And so, you know, it, it actually, uh, the interview actually shed a lot of light on that. You know, I hadn't even really considered about the fact, I'm just thinking that the companies that designed the games were like greedy trying to get all the quarters, but no, it wasn't that at all. It's more so the owner operator of the arcade that wanted a yeah. higher return on investment because once the uh, arcade company sells the game, that's it. They've made their money. They're not getting a percentage of everything that's coming in and out of the machine. That's our, the arcade operator. But anyway, continuing but, on. But continuing on. So, but yeah. I thought that was uh, yeah. So continuing on, two yeah. players tracked at Twin Galaxies. Now this is interesting. We have Brian Koo again, K U H K. I don't know. And Todd Rogers. I wonder if that's the same Todd Rogers who has all those uh, Atari uh, 2600 records. Oh, interesting. But this Possible. was verified on June 3rd, 2007. And this sounds a little bit more reasonable. 162,320. Yeah, that sounds a lot more reasonable. As I said, hard game. That's what I, uh, eh, yeah, that's, uh, that's all I had to say about high scores. You know, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, the, con- the platforms that this was on. Oh, uh, yes, let's do. Yes, let's do. Ha! Obviously, uh, it was well. It was uh, it was ported to the computers of the day: the Atari ST, Amiga, Amstrad CPC, Commodore sixty four, and ZX Spectrum. I'm sorry, ZX Spectrum, because we say it correctly. <laughs> Vic, ah, see what I did there? I'm pissing people off again. Um, it was also on uh, the Atari Lynx, which I've never played that one. The Atari Lynx was an interesting uh, handheld. I had it for a while. They had a, an, a, a deal called the, uh, uh, it was a Comlinx. It was a, a port on the unit. It, it looked like just a standard headphone jack type thing. And you could link several units together. So I'm assuming that you could have three different people playing Xenophobe and they would have, um, you would connect them with the link so you didn't, with the cable so you didn't have to have the screen split because if you had to share this one screen for a handheld console, that would be weird. But um, it was also available on the Atari 2600 and the Atari 7800. Now, the Atari 2600 version plays Xenophobe. Emulate it, watch a video, whatever. It's a technically complex game, aside from gameplay. Everything that's going on, it's technically a complex game. And I think the Atari 2600 version did an admirable job of pulling it off. 
Now, the Atari 7800 version, on the other hand, I, I don't like the Atari 7800 version. Really? I, yeah, I mean, I'll play it from time to time. And as Brian said, he had nothing to do with the home versions of any of his games. <laughs> so, I'll play it I from actually, time to time. I actually thought the 7800 version was a pretty decent version of it. Well, I don't like it because, first of all, it runs too slow. It's, it, I think it's a lot slower than the arcade. Some of the reason I don't care much for the 7800 version also has to do with the fact that the controller just sucks. Um, it's nice having the two buttons, because that does help, but the controller just sucks. Oh, you should try it on my controller. Well, I'm sure I should. I should probably... You know what? I haven't tried it with the uh, with the Ed Ladin 78 either, now that I think about it. I'll have to try that. Ooh, but I'm getting an Ed Ladin controller the, the worst thing about the 7800 version, it just looks blah. The arcade version and all of the other versions, the exception of the 2600, this was also on the NES and the PlayStation Portable, the PSP, by the way. All of the other versions look beautiful. You can select different characters, any of the different characters, uh, as I, again, exception of the 2600. The Atari 7800, you play two players at one time. You don't have a selection of different characters. You just got one character that you play, and he's got really no facial features. And it's just, just blah. I mean, it's just, just, the 7800 version is a blah game. I should say I don't. I should probably say I don't hate the seventy eight hundred version. I do play it from time to time, but I just don't go to it as much as I do. Now I like the arcade version of Xenophobe. I think it's a fun game, but the seventy eight hundred version it's not one of my. It's it's I don't hate it. It's it's kind of a middling seventy eight hundred game for me. Let's put it that way. I can see but, that. I guess. Yeah. It's it's just and yeah. It's you just do a have a good point. You can't really. You can't really choose from all the... you got a ton of characters to pick from in the arcade version. Nine. Three per controller. Yeah. So, how should we rate this? We should rate it very carefully. Yes, we should. How many continues do you uh, do you rate this game? Do you rate Xenophobe? Okay, well, a problem that I have with both of the games we're doing tonight, and I, and I brought this up to Brian when we interviewed him, is these games seem more fun when you get more people playing. And he said that was by design. I think in the case of Xenophobe versus the other game that we're going to be talking about tonight, I think Xenophobe is actually the more fun game to play by itself. I still think it's a lot more fun if you have more people playing, but due to the nature of the game, if you have more people to playing, it also gets a little bit more confusing. Again, watch the video uh, that we have posted. Maybe uh, try it out yourself. I do recommend that you get a... Uh, a good PC controller if you're going to emulate it, and make sure you have your buttons mapped carefully because that's tantamount when you're playing this one because on the screen, it literally says left button and right button, so you'll want to uh, play around with that a little bit. Once you have your controller mapped perfectly, you don't have to worry about it. But I think, you know what? I, I, I'm bouncing around uh, the, my ratings for this game, and I think I'm going to rate it a 4. As I said, out of the two games tonight, I'd kind of like this one better. I think this one plays better single player. It's more fun multiplayer, like the other game we're talking about, going to talk about tonight. But I think there's just more to it. I think this is a deeper game than the other one we're talking about tonight, too. It's an, I, mean, I it's think a, so. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's more complex. There's more going on. Like with every other arcade game, it does repeat after a while. I mean, it's just the nature of the industry. I mean, we... Even in, uh, what was this game, from 87, there were still not a lot of arcade games that just had a literal specific ending. And those that did 
just wrapped around and started started around from the beginning anyway. So, you know, it's not like it, it wasn't doing anything that arcade games at the time weren't doing. I'll give it a four. I thought I like this game. I like it. And um, I'm going to give it three continues, actually. I, it's it's just personal opinion. Just not it's just not the kind of game that I that I like. I mean, mm-hmm. for one thing, I did find it difficult to play with the three different play fields happening. Mm-hmm. It's 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 hard to figure out. Wh- and then when when uh, in multiplayer mode, sometimes it's easy to forget suddenly forget who which character you are. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and that that does get to be an a, an issue. And also just the overall themes, just just not my thing. Just just not my thing. I'm thinking maybe if I spent a little bit more time with it, maybe I could get more into it. But uh, other than that, it's like, yeah, hey, I don't know. And also, it's just too complicated, really. Yeah, that that, that is true. It's 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 uh, it is an extremely complicated game. Like I said, it didn't have doesn't have all of the buttons of a defender, but it's just as complicated. I would say, <laughs> just as complicated with half the buttons. <laughs> there you go. Actually, maybe a little bit less than half the buttons of defender. But uh, so yeah, that's uh, those are my thoughts on uh, xenophobe. 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 You know what xenophobe means? Fear of xenos. Well, that's exactly the theme of this game. Darn straight it is. And I think because of your snotty attitude, Mister, we should talk about another game. Fine. Yes, and just for punishment, just, are you going off on a rampage? Stop stealing my thunder. That's the last thunder I have left, and the weekend's coming up. Yes, I'm going to be talking about Rampage. Ah, Rampage. Yes, Rampage. Um, simplicity itself. You got uh, one of three monsters. You got Lizzie the Lizard, Ralph the Werewolf, and George the Gorilla. And basically you're destroying cities. Uh, the, the story is, due to some sort of testing of vitamins or something by an evil corporation... You're just an average person that just turns into a monster, and what's the monster going to do? The monster's going to do what monsters do. They destroy things. The game is set over the course of 128 days across North America. Seeing as the developers are from Illinois, of course it starts in Peoria, and uh, goes to my hometown of Joliet, like I think the second or third day, and it goes around the Chicago area, and then it goes across the country, and then the last couple cities, one of them is Homewood, Illinois, which is a suburb of chicago i believe that's where brian colin lives that's where brian or lived at one point or something plano illinois which is where his designer jeff nauman lives or is from actually in uh, plano illinois actually you can see that in the uh, uh in the farm scenes in the movie man of steel and I believe some scenes were shot there for Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, which is going to be released shortly. I thought that movie was a... I really thought that was a joke when they announced that movie. I thought somebody was joking. The trailers look like a joke. I'm just throwing that out there. I hope the movie's a lot better than what it seems, but... I don't care either way, so, but... So, this is three players at the same time, unlike Xenophobe, where the screen scrolls independently of... For each character, all three of you are on one static screen at the time. Again, refer back to episode 24 for a lot of uh, technical information because uh, there was a lot of interesting tricks that they did with this game uh, based on the hardware. You uh, you have a punch button and you have a jump button. Uh, jump, you can duh, jump around, jump around, jump up, jump up, and get down. Uh, literally, you can jump onto the sides of the buildings and grab onto it. And you can punch the buildings, you can punch straight into it, or if you are going down the side of a building while punching. It'll punch like the side of the building. 
Uh, after you destroy enough of the building, the building will collapse. Every now and then, a little army guy will come out at the bottom of the screen holding some dynamite. Well, National Guard, really. Oh, I'm sorry, National Guard. And they will uh, drop the dynamite in front of a building, whether you've punched it or not, to destroy the building. Throughout the game, there are helicopters trying to uh, shoot you down. There are two different kinds of those. There's a littler ones that just shoot you, and another, a bigger one, which is the bane of my existence, which drops a gigantic bomb, which knocks you off the building. You will have a tank that shows up every now and then. Oh, I hate that thing. Yeah. And um, there's actually a cop car that acts the same way, can shoot you off the side of the building. And uh, let me By the way, I just want to interject about the tank. The thing I hate about the tank is that it will constantly be shooting at you and pushing you back. You actually have to jump at it and time it just right if you want to either get past it or punch it out or whatever. It's I have actually found with Rampage a bug in the game which can help you get around that. Oh? Yes, and... um, I will. I'll talk about that a little bit later. I found a few little interesting strategies for dealing with the cop cars and the tanks, which both are pretty much similar. And there's a, there's a bunch of little different things you can do in here. I mean, if you punch a window, it'll reveal a bonus item or something that you can, uh, something you can eat for more health, or it'll it'll uh, reveal something dangerous to eat, like a, a toaster. Now it's interesting because you look because there's a lot of detail in the little little tiny images, like. As I said, you punch a window and sometimes it'll come up with a toaster. And sometimes there'll be a little piece of toast in there. If you punch the toaster while there's toast in it, you eat the toast and you gain a little health. If you punch it again and eat the toaster, I mean, you lose health. Uh, Sometimes the toaster doesn't have toast in it. Sometimes there'll be a TV that'll show up. Uh, Sometimes a cactus, you'll eat it. Sometimes it'll just be like a woman or a guy or whatever. You can eat them. You can eat the army men. Every now and then, depending on the city, a trolley will run out, and if you hit that a couple of times, you get some bonus points. Each time you hit it, it moves the opposite direction and goes faster, so you really got to be good on the draw. That's actually a good uh, a thing for more than one player, because you could basically play Pong with the, with the train. <laughs> I never one thought person, of that. Yeah, you hit it, and it goes the other way, and the other guy can hit it, and it go the other way, and just see what you can, how fast you can get that going. And uh, every now and then, there will be, uh, on the street, there will be like a... Um, like a manhole cover and every now and then a little person will peek out of it and you'll see like the little manhole cover go up as i said since your character is so huge everything else in this game has got to be tiny but the detail they have in the tiny stuff this is a really funny game if you pay attention to the detail this is a very oh, yeah. funny game he'll like peek out and if you punch the uh, uh the manhole cover uh when he's peeking out you can actually punch the manhole cover and like, just keep punching it. You can punch it, and it'll go. It'll bounce up and down. You punch it again, it'll fly across the screen. I've been kind of wanting to play with another player, and uh, see how many times. See if we could punch the manhole cover back and forth. I think that would be kind of fun. And I've noticed that you can that if you time it just right, the manhole cover can actually like destroy something else for you. Yes, yes, it can destroy helicopters, tanks, cop cars, anything actually. So you can use that as a weapon. Um, oh, I, I did neglect to mention that there's some stages in cities that are along with the water and uh, there will be boats coming by that take the place of the cop cars and every now and then there'll be like a river or something through the middle and there'll be a bridge if you jump on it the bridge gets destroyed and you have to walk out of the water and it's funny because you can tell where your guy your uh, your character is because he holds his fist above the uh, <laughs> above the water <laughs> level so you can see where he is and um let me think i believe i've covered everything the uh as again, Brian Colin, and something I was going to mention that I saved for this game is you could tell Brian Colin's distinct art style. 
Uh, oh, yeah, games. yeah. And he's got a very, very distinct style, and it's uh, quite humorous. And the style goes over into the uh, the stuff that he's doing nowadays as well. I tried loading the um, Arctic Stud Poker Run. And I tried to install it on my computer, but for some reason I just can't get it to run on my Windows 7 PC. So I've had to watch some video of it, and uh, the art style carries over to there. And as I said, he's got a very distinct, very humorous art style. really shows through in this game. And um, I... Th- believe that is all i have to say about this particular uh, about this particular game at this time so i believe that's uh, all of the basics uh, one fun thing to do is you have at the top of the screen you have your your score and it have the name of your character uh, george lizzie whatever now, oh and unlike xenophobe where you could choose three different characters per joystick each joystick in this game is a specific character i can't remember which oh, order they're in that's actually not true Oh, it isn't? Yeah, you can choose your character no matter which joystick you are. I found that out on Saturday, actually. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I am wrong. But you can only be one of the three characters. Once you select it, you can't yeah. be, you know, unlike, uh, say, uh, Gauntlet 2, where you could have four Valkyries playing, each one a different color. If you're George, nobody else can be George. If you're Lizzie, right. nobody else. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Huh. I have to play it again. Um, it's been a while since our, my last trip to Galloping Ghost, actually. So, um, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah, you have a life meter, and every time... And this could technically be called a bullet hell game, because you're getting shot at constantly. I mean, face it, you're a monster. You're destroying the city. What else is the National Guard going to do, you know? So, um, you know, you're getting shot, and then your energy bar keeps going down slowly, slowly. You can buy more energy by putting another token in again. Go back to episode 24 with our discussion with Brian about the balancing between the the needs of the arcade owner and the need of the player. And um, I believe that's all I need to say. I have to say about the, the actual gameplay and that sort of thing. Uh, what have you uh, to say about the game? Well, I'd like to fill in a few details. Um, first of all, we should mention the name of the evil laboratory that caused all this to happen. And what is that? Scum Labs. Scum Labs. Although I don't think they actually mention that by name in Rampage. I don't they think we hear Scum not. Labs until Rampage World Tour. And each of the characters has a separate backstory, like how how they all turned into uh, mutants. Like, uh, for example, uh, Lizzie was taking a bath in a radioactive lake. Ah. And that's what caused her to turn into Lizzie the Lizard. George was eating radioactive vitamins. And Ralph, who's the character I usually choose, by the way, was eating a quote-unquote scam sausage. A scam sausage? Well, yeah, and that kind of explains because at the, at the beginning of each city, there is like a newspaper headline. Oh, yeah, and it tell actually tells a story if you keep reading them. Yeah, and I thought that was a really cool touch. That is a nice touch. And something else that we should mention is that not only can you eat people, but you also can hold certain people and get uh, extra points for doing that. Oh, and the most fun thing about this game is oh. when you die, okay, oh, when you run you don't out actually of energy, die. you revert back to your little character. And your little character walks off the screen totally naked, and you can see the little arms covering the private parts, and you're walking off stage. If another person is playing... Yes. And they're still a monster. You can eat the other player. That is the most fun and awesome thing to do in this game. I didn't know about that until we talked to Brian. I didn't know he could do that. So oh, when I, I was at t- all the time. I was at Underground Retrocade and I, I was like, Duke, let's come on over here. We like Duke and I both played this and I tried that just just for that. 
I did get video footage of that too. I'll have to check it out and see if it's any good. And if it is, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, that is that is an awesome, awesome, awesome thing about this game is that you can do that, and uh, oh, you can punch yeah. the other player as well. You can oh, really? duke it out with you know. If now, if you were playing this game with Duke, you would be duking it out with Duke. That's very true. Yeah. So uh, there. You, oh man, have if that. Only- you know what I want to do? Next time I'm at Galloping Ghost, I want to play this against Duke and Doc and have Duke... Duke and Doc duke it out. Duke it out with Duke and Doc, you know? You know what? But, that sounds like an event that they could do. Yes! Yes! Oh, We, <laughs> we got, should suggest yeah. that to, uh, to Doc next time we're there. Yes, yes. But, uh, go, but, uh, but yeah, you actually get 500 points for eating a civilian, as they call it. But if you hold on to the civilian... You get 4,000 to 6,000 points, and depending on which character you are, you're only allowed to hold certain people. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, George can only hold uh, men, I believe. Lizzie can only hold women. And Ralph, and this is one reason I I always play Ralph, because this is so bizarre. Ralph can only hold businessmen. Oh, really? And the longer you hold on to that person, the more points you get. But if you hold on to that person too long, that person actually starts punching your hand and like causing you to let go. I did not know that. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention is when I play this game, I always love playing with Lizzie. I think Lizzie is my favorite character because it's the creature from the Black Lagoon sort of thing going on there. And uh, yes, it is obvious that all the character, the main, three main characters in this game are based on classic monsters like Ralph, obviously giant werewolf Lizzie. It's kind of like the creature from the Black Lagoon. And then George is like King Kong. He's a gorilla. Now, we were talking how the game starts in Peoria. It starts in Illinois and ends in Illinois. Gotta love that. And um, after you've finished the game in Plano on day 128, um, and actually there's more than one building in Plano. I think there's two, but there's tiny. Uh, you get a mega vitamin bonus, which will yes. heal all of the monsters, and you can uh, get a lot of points with it. And then 5, uh, my source of information says after that the cycle of cities repeats five times so you can if you uh, get up to day 768 the game will reset back to day one one thing about this game is the levels can take a while to get through them uh, especially with one player two players three players you could get through them faster but uh if you want to get all the way to day 768 you're going to be playing a while oh yeah and apparently here's a bit of trivia for you the rampage And this is for, I'm getting this from Wikipedia. It goes through two Canadian provinces and 43 U.S. states. And it says here, and I wasn't even paying attention when I play the game, the only states it does not go through are Connecticut, Delaware, Mississippi, New Hampshire, Rhode Island, South Carolina, and Vermont. Wow, so both Ferg and Soul Blazer are spared. Yeah, they don't have to worry about it. But us here in Illinois, man, we're getting the worst of it. I would say a good tenth of the game takes place in Illinois. Yeah, just stay out of Joliet. I mean, I'm dead, though, because Chicago takes up two days. Yeah, yeah, Chicago takes up a couple of days, and Joliet's only 12 miles for me. Plano's 30, so could be worse. Rampage World Tour, like the second city you go to is uh, Kankakee, Illinois, and I lived there for way too long. And um, let me think. I believe that's all I really have to say about the the play of Rampage. And um, I don't know. Did I already throw it back to you for your opinions or anything? I don't think um, I did. You you, you kind of did. We've been just we've, we've been, been just, just we've going been, back and forth, kind of like two, yo. 
kind of like two rampage characters trying to play ping pong with the uh, with the train or the trolley car or whatever. Yeah, so yeah, yeah that's, that's kind of what we've been doing. But yeah, uh, yeah, oh, the, the scoring I, I is. Cool. I do want to do that. I think I've done that once or twice, but I want to do that again. That's. Uh, I need to talk to we need, Brian. If you're listening to this, clue us in on something here. How many times can you hit the uh, the trolley? I'm curious on that because is, is there a, is there a point where you just can't hit the trolley anymore and it goes off the uh, the screen? That'd be interesting well, I, to find. Yeah, out. I never even thought about that. But unlike uh, with uh, Xenophobe, the scoring is a little bit less complicated here. For every every time you eat a civilian, you get 500 points. Uh, mm-hmm. If you pu- now, this is interesting because like you can punch a rowboat if there's water. Uh, if you punch a civilian in the rowboat, that's 750 points. There's what they call collectible items like money or a safe. And if you punch those, you get 100 to 500 points. Uh, mm-hmm. There are consumable items like chicken wings and toast, of course, 175 points. Uh, there are punchable items like a TV set, a toilet. I love that there's a toilet in here. Yeah, because I know. <laughs> I, because I have a uh, nine-year-old sense of humor. <laughs> Poopies. And, uh, and uh, let's see, a light bulb, assuming it is not lit, you get 500 points. A neon sign, if it's not lit, you get 1,000 points. So, yeah, oh, you got to be careful with your timing there. If you punch a lit neon sign, you lose some <laughs> health points. Yeah, you do. Pickup trucks and taxis, they could be either 100, 200, or 750 points, depending on how fast they're moving, if they're moving at all. Uh, the train is 500 points. It, you cannot destroy it unless maybe, maybe, unless, I don't know, unless you do that little back and forth thing with uh, another monster. I want to find out. Yeah. National Guardsmen, you get 50 points for eating them. Uh, tanks are 200 points. Helicopters are 750 points. You know, the tanks should be a lot more than 200 points. Those things are nasty. They're a pain in the ass. Yeah, police cars, 750. And you know, we already talked about the mega vitamin bonus. And all that. I think you get a bonus if you knock down all the buildings, which is why you don't want to let the National Guard destroy the buildings. Oh, if yes, possible. I think you're right on that. I think you get a bonus, but I'm not 100% sure. Now, I want to tell you a couple of strategies that I've found from playing this uh, game, dealing with the tanks and with the uh, with the cop cars, you know, the cop shotgun. Oh, do tell. First of all, if there is a bridge in the city that you're in, I used to just leave them alone, try to leave them alone because I hate falling in the water and getting out of them. But I found out that if you destroy the bridge, the tank and the cop car cannot get past them. And in fact, they get destroyed if when they hit the water. They can't go past them. So destroy the bridge. And if a tank comes through, boom, he stops, and you don't have to worry about him until he comes out again. They keep coming out once you destroy him. And a little glitch that I found. If you're at the very end of the screen, and you were talking about how when you get hit by a bullet from the tank, it like pushes you back. If you're at the very edge of the screen, and you get hit with a bullet from the tank, you warp over to the other side of the screen. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I noticed that myself. And since you're so close to the end... The tanks don't turn around. He'll just keep going. So just throwing that out there. Those are two strategies I use to deal with the tanks. They don't work on every level because not every level. Well, the one will work on every level, uh, but uh, the other, the one with the bridge won't because not every level has, you know, has water or docks or whatever. But uh, I find those to be the two ways to really deal with them. The, uh, the helicopters that fly above that drop the large bomb on you, those are a little easy to avoid. I do like when you jump through the air, how you can keep punching at everything, anything uh, that's coming around so you can destroy more helicopters that way. There is a uh, technique where you can jump from building to building, you know, to escape things. And Sometimes uh, you have to. Sometimes you have to. One thing I did, did neglect to mention, if you 
are on the side of the building and it starts and you see the the, uh, the cracks in the building show up and it starts to collapse get off the building jump off of it whatever because yeah. if you stay on the side you will fall and you will lose energy you will lose health so try to jump off and jump onto another build and grab onto another building or something and um, when the I was mentioning about how the National Guard guy comes out with the dynamite and he drops it at the base of the building if you're going to eat the National Guard guy Make sure he's dropped the dynamite because the dynamite, right? And, and if you eat anything like that, uh, your <laughs> your uh, your monster will like be breathing fire for a little bit as he tries to digest it, and you lose health points, and you lose health. So and I also, love that when he grabs a toilet or she, if you're doing Lizzie, let me rephrase that. Three, if you're playing two, with Lizzie, up. Uh, if I you chose is, Lizzie, what I love is if you punch the toilet. I believe your character will actually try to eat it and actually, like, basically do a spit take. Yes, he does. I love that. Oh, and that. by the way, uh, Eating the Toilet is the name of my new album. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Oh, thank you for plugging that. How can we get that album? Hopes and Dreams. That's how you can get it. So, thank you. We'll put a link to that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, if we remember. But um, there we are. Uh, I believe that in a nutshell, that is the arcade game rampage. Now, what say ye for high scores? Well, for high scores, again, you're not going to find my name on this list. I mean, it's interesting. I just double-checked arcade. I don't have my own score recorded, probably because it's one of these games where I'm actually like mindlessly continuing <laughs> and I lose track. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, that that's right, folks. I actually continue this game sometimes. But uh, uh, arcade.com, they track single-player and two-player. Mm-hmm. Single player record, uh, according to Orcade, is held by Amelia Claggett. Pardon me if I'm mispronouncing that. There's a name you don't hear very often. Performed January 2nd, 2010 at MAGFest, that's Music and Games Fest, 8 in Alexandria, Virginia. Now, this is some, this is another thing I'm questioning here, but 2,134,750. Hmm. The two-player track on Orcade.com, PJ Cesare. And Patrick Stanley, which they performed during the 13th annual Classics Championships at Fun Spot on June 4th, 2011, they got 242,270. Twin Galaxies, the official record holder, of, apparently. We see a familiar name here, single player. Patrick Stanley, verified December 12th, 2010, with a score of 480,570. Now, Twin Galaxies also tracks two- and three-player games. For two-player mode, they have Jimmy Sacco and Stephanie Jones, uh, verified December 31st, 2010, with a score of 387,200. Mm-hmm. Now, for the three-player track, they only had two players listed for some reason, Patrick Scott Patterson and Herbert Charles Sharp, verified June 4th, 2010, uh, 395,530. I really want to know how Amelia got that 2 million. I, th- I think you can extend your game longer in Rampage than you can Xenophobe because there are a lot of things that you to eat between people and uh, different bonus items. So I think you could extend it longer, but yeah, I'm still questioning the 2 million thing. And the thing is, like, I never really liked this game very much until just the past couple of years when I started playing it. And realize the reason I didn't like it is because I felt that, hey, you're constantly being shot at. How the hell do you actually yeah. survive long enough? I found out, like, with a little bit of practice, it is possible to 
do a pretty good job of avoiding bullets and stuff. Yeah. And if you know what you're doing, you can avoid a lot of the things that suck away your health. And of course, every time you eat a consumable items, you get more health back. So yeah. that helps. Mm-hmm. I can easily see how these six digit scores are possible, but man, 2.1 million. Yeah. I, I, I've got to question that. Yeah. So is that, uh, is that pretty much all you've got for scores? That's all I got for scores, yeah. All right, so let's talk home versions here. Now, this is yes. this was ported to quite a few different platforms. The it was on the Atari Lynx, which actually I believe the Lynx version started as a different game because it was um, the uh, the computer software company Epix created the Lynx video game system and they licensed it to Atari, but they had a a city destroying game that they were already working on. And I believe they just rebranded that. Rampage. Um, I believe they did something similar with the version of uh, Gauntlet uh, that came out with the Lynx. It was actually a different game, but they just rebranded it Gauntlet. Uh, it was Amstrad CPC in the ZX Spectrum. Uh, ZX Spectrum in the UK is on the Commodore 64, the Amiga, the Atari ST, which is a version I had, the Atari 2600, the Atari 7800, PC, the Nintendo 64, GameCube, Xbox, PlayStation 2, uh, the NES, um, the Atari, let's see, I did say Atari 2600, and the Sega Master System. The only versions, home versions of this I have played are the Sega Master System, which I just played the other day, which is a pretty respectable version, and the um, Atari ST version, which is, again, a fairly respectable version. But I have a problem with the home versions. It just seems like there's something missing. All of the consoles, with the possible exception of the Atari Lynx, there's just no way, maybe even the GameCube, there's just no way that you could play this three-player, except no. as a, on, the, on the modern consoles. So you could play it two-player, but not three. So there's something there. But then there's also the issue with... Um, it, it just doesn't seem right on them for some reason. And some of the home ports of the game, the game will start and end in California. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is, uh, <clears throat> oh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Oh, I'm coming down with, uh, with, uh, ke- uh, with something there. You know, <laughs> Illinois proud, yeah, hey. It's probably just the same reason that the arcade version starts and ends in Illinois. I'll bet you that the California version, that's where their developers came from. Well, you figure that the uh, the data the NES version was put out by Data East and their uh, their American headquarters were out in California, so no, there you go with that. Well, that is east of Hawaii, so yeah. And Activision put actually put out the twenty six hundred and seventy eight hundred versions, and I believe no Sega put out the Sega Master System. I thought Activision put out the Sega Master System version. I'll have to double check that. But so yeah, I mean different companies translated it, but it would have been cool just to leave it the way it was. Yeah, like I, I can comment on three of the home versions. Uh please. I you know, the Atari twenty six hundred version I played a while ago. It's oh, not you the know greatest. What? I did play that in emulation now that I think about it. It's it's not the greatest thing in the world, but at the same time, it is pretty impressive that they were able to pull it off how they did. I mean, yeah, you it, know, it does it, have its own unique charm. It, it really does. 7800 version is okay, there's, but there, I, I get what you're saying about how there's something missing on the home versions. Yeah, the 7800 version, it's, it just seems kind of bland. But in fact, um, just to give you an idea, somebody recently hacked the 7800 version and made the graphics 
the sprites mainly a little bit more arcade perfect and it does make a tremendous difference it really i certainly does. hope somebody does that with uh with xenophobe and heck some way to actually choose your character in that because that game sorely needs it and then there's the nes version and there's one thing i don't like about the nes version oh it does not have ralph yes i had heard this it's the only two players you're either Either one or the other. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I understand uh, that you know it's only two players, so it wouldn't. So in some ways, it might not make sense to have three characters. But I still would have liked to have chosen to play Ralph. That's my that's my character. Yeah, I like Lizzie. So yeah, uh, sorry, so, Mike and Carrington, but I like Ralph. I like Lizzie. She's cute. Well, she has a giant lizard. So. Oh, and one other thing uh, we might that might be worth mentioning: another home-ish version. Uh, at least for iOS, possibly for Android as well. The Midway Arcade app has the arcade version of Rampage. But on the Midway Arcade version of Rampage, mm-hmm. it's the same newspaper headline time and time and time again. So there's something not quite right on that one, too, even though it's pretty much the arcade version emulated. On which one again? The iOS app. Oh, okay. uh, Midway, Midway Arcade. It did come out in many arcade game compilations. Uh, it was in the Arcade Party Pack for the PlayStation, which is just emulation. And then it was released in Midway Arcade Treasures on the GameCube and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's been around. I mean, it had a few sequels. Um, the only arcade sequel it had was Rampage World Tour, which is a, is a more graphically pleasing game because this is kind of bare bones. This is on older hardware, though. I mean, R- World Tour came out 10 years later. And, I uh, can and never it, play that game because, well, the only arcade I know of that has it is Galloping Ghost, and every time I'm there, that machine is bogarted. We're going to have to play that because it's got fun, other fun little How things. How are we going to uh, play it? it? There's it, always somebody on it. It also has it has a not only a punch button, it has a kick button. Yes. And there are certain buildings. You know how some buildings, they have like the uh, the roof. It's got like that truss thing. You know, it's like the triangles. If you find a building like that, you can use it like a trampoline and, uh, and other stuff like that. And you can choose which city you go to next if you find a billboard and punch it. And it's, it's got a lot more going on. And um, we definitely need to play that one. And I think with that, I think uh, we're ready to rate this one. So you want to rate a rampage, huh? Rate a rampage. Rate a rampage. So, yes. Um, so what I was thinking is, um, like Xenophobe, I think this game is more fun to play with multiple people than it is by yourself. Absolutely. I was originally going to rate this game a three, but as we're talking about it, and I'm thinking about all of the different things going on and all the little touches in this game, because this game's got a lot of little touches and a lot of little jokes and everything in it. You got to look for them. You got to pay attention. And when I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking more and more that this is a better game than I remember it being, you know? And if you just savor it for what it is and the humor and the artwork as i said this is like this is brian colin uh, classic artwork i think i'm just rate this one a four as well it's fun and it's it's more fun with more people and as again as brian said in the interview it was designed that way so i'm gonna rate this one a four credit where credit's due but also it was designed that way because it meant triple the profits but true true <laughs> but as but, we said you know, i mean he had to really they the uh, the developer were caught in the middle between the arcade owner and the player who both yeah. wanted different goals i mean at first i was going to give this a four but then it kind of like you the more i we're talking about it the more i realized man this is such there's so much in this 
unlike with xenophobe though it's not it, there is a lot in it but it's not as complicated yeah and it's, it's more like discovery game. things and the things that the things that you discover they're very entertaining they're funny and you're basically playing a cartoon and you know, you know i mean i just love the little touches like how he spits the water out of the toilet and mm-hmm. you know and the the fire breathing and that you can eat the other players you know and so you know what this i didn't think i was going to do this but i'm going to give this one a 5 i wow. got it. partly Only because reason- this is one of the few games that i will continue on mm-hmm. but something that really helped me give this rating is that it is possible to play well enough that you don't need to continue to do True. to make good, As I said good before, progress. I mean, here. there's a lot of, I mean, when it comes to health, there's a lot of things you can eat in the game. And most and of them are people. And I'm not saying it to suck up to Brian Colin either, because notice no. I gave Xenophobe only a three continues. The you know. only reason I had, didn't rate it a five is because this game does get repetitive both of, let's be honest both of these games do get repetitive is, okay you know yeah you know what that is true you know what i all right i'm gonna do something i've never done before i'm gonna knock it back down a notch i'm gonna make it a four because you're absolutely right and that is something i was thinking because when i was playing rampage on the midway arcade app on my iphone and I really was getting a little bit tired of okay here we go again i'm gonna destroy the city and i didn't like that the cities repeat like like for example chicago takes up two days mm-hmm. some cities take more than one day i, I, I didn't and like I, it. it's like oh here's a new city coming up. oh no it's not and i believe at the end of you get uh, get you have to go back to chicago near the end of the game too because it ends and begins in the chicago area does it go back to chicago i want to think it does i know it goes to aurora it does yeah aurora is the penultimate city yeah well wayne's world and all that so I think it does go back to Chicago eventually. I have to double check. I was one of the things I've been wanting to do is map the path that the monsters take throughout uh, the United States, but I've just not gotten a chance to do that. But uh, oh, and so- before we wrap up our thoughts on Rampage, let's yes. there's something we should acknowledge. You know what's happening on April fourteenth, two thousand seventeen? Assuming things don't change, tax audits, tax audits certainly. Well, probably not. Probably not until after after the fifteenth. Oh yeah, that's true. What? What would be happening on the 14th? The release of Rampage the Movie. <gasps> no. Uh, it says, the information I have says that will be in theaters in 2017. April 14th, 2017. Isn't that what I said? Oh, I thought you said this year. No. Oh. No, no and, starring The Rock, I believe. Yes, Dwayne Johnson. Mm-hmm. And the director of San Andreas, which was out this last year, is going to be directing the movie. I hope it's a comedy. I hope it's ton and cheap. Oh, it, I, 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 I do. I don't want to. I don't, I don't want, want to... this to be like the Transformers, where it's all serious and whatever. I'm, I, I want this to be, uh, be funny. Yeah, it, it's gotta be. It has it's to have. Be. And I hope they. And I hope. And I hope. Hope. Hope that they at least bring Brian Cullen and Jeff Nauman in as technical advisors. Because this, the movie has to have the touches. I mean, you can't do the movie without their graphical and humorous touches. You just couldn't. Well, I have a little bit of confidence because Brian himself has been plugging the movie. That's true. He has, hasn't he? Yeah. That's how I knew about it, actually. So, but I, 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 I dearly hope, dearly hope that they are you know, involved with the movie. And more than yeah. just... Uh, Special thanks or character, you know, characters created by credits. Oh, and by the way, backtracking a little bit. Another reason that I wanted to give Rampage such a high rating is I noticed that I was looking for it on every system. I was looking for it for the twenty six hundred, the seventy eight hundred. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was disappointed that it wasn't on the Genesis, so I couldn't play it on the at games handheld. <laughs> you know what? And I think it occurs to me why the home versions 
don't have the uh, the staying power of the arcade. First of all, there's the loss of the third player, but I think this is a game that you actually kind of really need the arcade atmosphere. I can dig that. I can I see what you mean there. But some games, I think like Pac-Man, you don't really need that. No. But I think there's some games like this one that you really do need it to get into it. I will go out and say that you, if you're going to play Rampage, play it in the arcade. Yeah. I, I think it really needs the arcade ambiance, the arcade experience, if you will. And um, what if I won't? I mean, there are 40 but, arcades that have it, at least 40. Well, this was a very, very popular game for good reason. Yeah. And 23 arcades, at least, have uh, Rampage World Tour. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And something I know, I never yeah. noticed this before, but at Underground Retrocade, they have Rampage, Xenophobe, and Arch Rivals clustered together. So it's basically like the three Brian Cullen classics right there. Yes, over at Retrocade. I can see it because he, he groups them by uh, manufacturer and theme and stuff like that. So Yeah, I was actually kind of surprised surprised by that because it's uh, they're on the first floor, which is supposed to be pre-crash, but oh, well, I'll forget. Um, Rampage was 86. That would, that would be post-crash. That would be yeah. early post-crash. Yeah, and Arch Rivals was 89, I be think. be fair, the crash didn't really affect the arcade as much as it did eh, the home. That's very true, yeah. And I think with that, uh, just wrapping it up here. So two fours. Oh, and I have to correct you on one thing. You did knock a game down a notch from your original review. One game. During the show. Well, during okay, the well, not actual during the show. show. You haven't yeah, done that I, during I, the show. Oh, I know about Dragon's Lair. Okay, I was going to say. And I, was I do reserve to my right today. to change. I, we should both reserve our rights to change um, our ratings as we see necessary. So I think with that, should we reveal the theme? I think it's pretty obvious what the theme of today's show well, is. Well, it could be obvious, but there's there's an obvious general one. There's an obvious, and there's a not quite as obvious, very specific one. Well, I think the obvious one is these are games that were designed by Brian Colin. That's right. But what is the not-so-obvious theme? They are designed for three players. Three-player games yeah? designed by Brian Colin. Okay. Yeah, well, there you go. I wasn't thinking about that, but that is indeed a second theme. Yeah. Yeah, and a so. few things that we should say before we sign off, before we forget. Sorry to kind of step on your feet, Mr. Host, but uh, we should thank those who have uh, sponsored us through Patreon. Yes, we uh, should. Thank you to uh, Scott, Rory, and Andy. And uh, you can uh, sponsor us on Patreon through Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Pie Factory Podcast. And if you're one of those people who don't feel like doing financial transactions online, we can work out something else. And Phil, the no swear gamer kind of scolded me when we made our acceptance speech for our golden potty award oh? for not thanking Hyde St. Pierre for all his hard oh, work. So yes, he did. Didn't he? Yeah, he did. So yes. Hyde, if you're listening, which you better be because you're editing this together for us. Uh, thank you for all your hard work as if your paycheck didn't already thank you enough, but thank you very much. Hyde. Yes. Thank you, Hyde. Pains me to say it, but thank you. And I think with that, um, we should uh, reveal what the games we're going to be talking about next week are. Since oh, yes. Next time, since you're the host, why don't you reveal them? Okay, since I'm hosting next time, our games next time are going to be Satan's Hollow. Dun, dun, dun. And Tron. Woohoo! So we will see you all again. Oh, I keep saying see you all. They can't see us. It's not like we're on a live feed No, but feed we can see them. Although, we might be doing a live feed in about a month, and we will oh, give you details right. on the next episode. That's so, right. And uh, so we will see you all. We'll talk to you all again in two weeks, and go from there. And to play us out, here is Jerry Buckner. Jerry Buckner. Insert a quarter for one play. 
Begin game. I like those old school games. Not been a quarter to play. There's nothing fancy here to see. They still look really good to me. I can play them all day. I can play them all night. It might seem kind of crazy, but it feels so right. I like those old school games. Got to play them, got to play them. I like those old school games. Insert them now. I like that. My girlfriend tells me she has had enough. Said I spend more time on Pac-Man than I do with her. Well, she's the best I've ever had. And I want our luck to last. Just got myself to blame. But I like the old school games. Let's go. The song you are hearing is Old School Games by the Butler Garcia Band, featuring Danny Jones. This episode of Pie Factory Podcast was edited and produced by Hyde St. Pierre. Opening theme is The Happy L, composed by Sean Courtney. Love theme from Adenda and Arata was composed by yours truly, Jim Goble. Follow the Pie Factory Podcast online via Facebook, over Twitter at Pie Factory PFP, or via our show notes site at piefactorypodcast.com. Support us via patreon.com slash piefactorypodcast. You're really good. That was fun.